All right. Republican presidential candidate and Donald Trump wannabe Vivek Ramaswamy hates America and Americans and himself. Forget that Vivek Ramaswamy wants to fire 75 percent of the federal workforce as president. He also thinks climate change is a hoax. He hates us. He hates this country. Forget that Vivek Ramaswamy wants to get rid of teachers unions and thinks people of color, the LGBTQ community and all members of marginalized communities are crybabies and professional victims. I mean, that pretty much tells you how much he hates 99 percent of America. But he really does hate this country. He hates America so much. Vivek Ramaswamy hates America so much, he is hatching a plan to get himself thrown out of this country. Seriously, that's how much Vivek Ramaswamy hates America. He wants to be forcibly removed from this country. If he becomes president, he has a plan to get himself thrown out of here. That's how much he hates America and how much he hates living here. But first, this is the mop-up for September 23rd, 2023. What I'm talking about, I am talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. He hates America, partly because he hates the 14th Amendment. Now, the 14th Amendment, among other things, guarantees something called birthright citizenship, It's one of the things that makes me proud to be an American. You made it here. I don't care how you made it here, but according to the 14th Amendment, this country doesn't care how you made it here. You had a baby in this country, so no matter what, that baby is an American. We will take care of that baby no matter what. No matter the immigration status of the mother and father, Any child born on U.S. soil is automatically a United States citizen. And that makes me proud to live in this country. But that poses a problem for the right wing who want to deport anyone in America who they feel didn't obey the law when they got here, including the babies. Seriously, they want to deport the babies. Republicans figure they're not fetuses. So to hell with them. It, politically speaking, is a Republican conundrum. How do you toss out a mother and father if their child is an American citizen? Well, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has a solution. Deport the baby as well. Get rid of all of them. The mother, the dad, the baby. Even if the baby is an American entitled to all the rights afforded to anyone born in America. Even if the child is an American citizen, deport them anyway. So says anti-American Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, who hates Americans as much as he hates America. Now, this position of getting rid of birthright citizenship Uh, Donald Trump played with it in the White House, but backed away when he was told uh, you you can't deport American citizens, especially if they're babies. It doesn't look good, Mr. President. 
But here is Vivek Ramaswamy in Iowa earlier this month asked if he would deport children who were born on American soil, who automatically became citizens, even though their parents are not citizens. He wants to tighten the border. Would you deport babies born in America? Vivek Ramaswamy. Child who's born in the United States, whose birthright citizen of the United States, would also be deported in that, yes. in that case? That's correct. And, and I think that there are legally contested questions, and I'm honest about this. They're contested. But there are legally contested questions under the 14th Amendment of whether the child of an illegal immigrant is indeed a child who enjoys birthright citizenship or not. There's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. That's the first thing. Nobody's illegal. So Vivek Ramaswamy, who hates this country, disagrees with the birthright citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment. It's interesting, very interesting, because on Friday, NBC News asked him an interesting question. Now, a little backstory here. Vivek's mother is a well-renowned and respected psychiatrist. She came to this country as an immigrant, as did Vivek's father. Now, we know Vivek's mother took the citizenship test and became a United States citizen. But what about Vivek Ramaswamy's father? He's a very successful patent attorney. Is your father a citizen of the United States, Mr. Tighten the Borders? Did your father also take the citizenship test and is your father a citizen? He did not. And that's a choice that he has made for familial reasons. He did not take the citizenship test. That is a choice. He why would you make a choice not to become a U.S. citizen if you're a successful patent attorney here? I don't understand. So here's the next question. So your father is not a citizen of the United States. He's not. OK. So what? So Vivek Ramaswamy, who wants to tighten the border, uh, get rid of immigrants, wants to deport babies, even if they're citizens. Vivek Ramaswamy, who hates America, uh, he just told us his father, who's done very well in this country, is not a citizen of the United States. I'm confused. Let me get this straight. Vivek Ramaswamy is running for president as an anti-immigration Republican, but his father chose not to be a citizen of the United States. This is interesting. Vivek's mom, a psychiatrist, she became an American citizen, but his father chose not to become one. I mean, he could pass the citizenship test. He's a patent attorney, a very successful one. He could pass the citizenship test. Why didn't Vivek Ramaswamy, why didn't his father become an American citizen? I think we deserve an answer. As a Republican, he owes us an answer to this question. We were, you know, he, Vivek worships Donald Trump, who made his name calling out Barack Obama's father and insisting that Barack Obama was born in Kenya and is not a real American. Here you have Vivek Ramaswamy, who 
wants to deport American children who were born here, tighten the border. He's got a father who's a successful attorney, made a lot of money here in America, but becoming an American citizen isn't good enough for Vivek Ramaswamy's father? I mean, where are your Republican bona fides, Vivek? Your fa- I mean, why does Vivek's father hate this country? Well, I'm guessing Vivek's mom, who is a psychiatrist, I'm guessing she became a U.S. citizen. And then she and her husband, who hates America, doesn't want to become a citizen, she and her uh America-hating husband had Vivek after after the mother passed the citizenship test. That has to be the story because Vivek is a Republican, and that's how you do things when you're a tighten-the-border Republican. I mean, you don't come to America and start having babies before you're a citizen. Not if you're a Republican. I mean... There's nothing wrong with doing that. I support that unless you're a Republican who opposes those kind of things, Vivek. The questioning continues. When did your mom take the citizenship test? Was it before or after you were born? After I was born. Huh? After you were born. Hmm. Now, let me see if I understand birthright citizenship and the 14th Amendment. Okay, let me just get all this straight. Vivek Ramaswamy is running for president as a tighten-the-border, deport foreign-born babies who were born in America. Uh, He himself is a person of color running for the Republican nomination as a hardline anti-immigration candidate. He wants to do away with the 14th Amendment's birthright citizenship, even though when he was born in America, his parents were not citizens and his father never bothered to become a citizen. And the only reason Vivek Ramaswamy is now a citizen is because of the 14th Amendment's birthright citizenship clause, which Vivek wants to do away with. Hmm, please continue your... Oh, F me. It was just getting good. What happened? Oh, what happened? Uh, Bear with me. Reopen. Sorry. We were just getting started, weren't we? Hang on. This is sabotage. This is sab. I was so into this. I was having, oh my God, I was having so much fun. Hang on. I'm really sorry about this. My heart was pounding. I was leading to the big denouement. And then it crashed. I hope it doesn't crash again. Oh, please. Okay. Uh, So let me, I don't know where I am. I'm flustered, flop sweat, I'm panicking, bear with me. Oh dear, oh bother. Okay, uh, did we did we get this question yet? When did your mom take the citizenship test? Was it before or after you were born? After I was born. 
Okay, after, so we've established that Vivek is the beneficiary of the 14th Amendment's birthright clause. Okay. Uh, and then what do we have here? Did we play this? Like you gain citizenship through birthright. Right. So she just asked the big question right before we crashed. She asked. Like you gain citizenship through birthright. Okay. So he's being called on it. You gained citizenship through birthright. Vivek went to Yale Law School, went to Harvard undergrad, and we're about to find out what a Yale Law School education gets you. It teaches you this obscure maneuver in rhetoric, which takes three years of a legal education from an elite institution like Yale in order to become a master of this rhetorical device. In Latin, it's called whataboutisms. So Latin term, uh, whataboutisms. And watch Vivek deploy this rhetorical device when it seems he's been backed into a corner. This is what a Yale Law School education gets you. Now, remember, he, he's just been asked, you're against birthright citizenship, but you yourself are the beneficiary of birthright citizenship. Watch what a Harvard undergraduate degree and a Yale Law School degree teaches you when you're backed in a corner. But you gained citizenship through birthright citizenship in that sense, too, right? You gained birthright citizenship in that sense, too. In other words, I was born in America and I had a, a birthright citizenship. And that's his answer. The difference is, yes, we, we all have <laughs> you fascist. Sick, sick. They're really sick. This is just some this is just a very sick man. That's why he's a Republican. So he's saying uh, I got citizenship through birthright. Uh, I'm not a hypocrite because everybody in America <laughs> gets citizenship through birthright. Uh yeah, the difference is you want to get rid of birthright citizenship for people who benefited from it like you did. In other words, your parents weren't citizens of the United States. My parents, I'm not trying to be rude here, but my parents, I'm pretty sure, were citizens of the United States. And that's why I have a birthright to my citizenship but your parents weren't American citizens, Vivek. The only reason you're an American citizen is because of the birthright citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment, which you want to get rid of. So that's what a Yale Law School education gets you. What about you? But even though the whataboutism doesn't track, uh, sick mental deficient which is why he's a Republican. Uh, yeah, it, it, so I, I can only conclude that Vivek Ramaswamy hates America almost as much as he hates himself. I know he despises himself. So it's also very clear to me that he hates this country. So I'm going to put on my Republican big boy clothes and accuse him of hating this country. He's a Republican. It's all about patriotism, fake patriotism, phony patriotism, right? 
So here's some phony patriotism, Vivek, right in your face. Why do you hate America? Why? Why does your father hate America? He's a very successful patent attorney. He came to this country. He did well, but he didn't want to become an American citizen. Why does your father hate America? And obviously, since you want to get rid of birthright citizenship, right, you no longer want to be an American citizen. That's the only thing I can conclude wearing my big boy Republican clothes that if you want to get rid of birthright citizenship, which you are the beneficiary of, that would mean you don't want to be an American citizen anymore, which means like father, like son. You hate America just as much as you hate as your father hates it. Uh, your mother was not a citizen when she gave birth to you, which means you get rid of birthright citizenship you are no longer uh, an American citizen and you're going to have to deport yourself as president. Uh, you hate this country. Why do you want to deport yourself as president? Is this why you're running for president? So is this your big master plan that you've hatched to escape from America? Hasn't this country been good to you, Vivek? And now you, you want to get thrown out. Why are you so unpatriotic? Is that an American flag on your lapel? Why do you hate America? Or maybe you don't hate America. Now, your mother's a psychiatrist. You should ask her about this. Maybe you just hate your father. Maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe the reason you're so anti-immigrant is your father isn't an American citizen. Your mother is, and you are, and you hate your father, and you want him deported. Maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe you have unresolved Oedipal issues. Your mother's a psychiatrist. You should ask her about this, Vivek. See, I think, the more I consider this, uh, I think you want to kill your father and sleep with your mother, just like Oedipus. That's, ask your mom about the Oedipus complex. But, you know, you can't kill your father and sleep with your mother. So instead, you turn on immigrants because subconsciously, you know that your father is one. He's not an American citizen. Subconsciously, you want your father, who you hate, who you want to kill. You want him deported so you can be alone with your mother. I think you're a mother effer. I mean, ask your mom. She's a psychiatrist. Ask her about the Oedipus complex. But I think this whole immigrant position you're taking, this whole anti-immigrant deport them all position goes back to your Oedipal issues. You want to kill your father and sleep with your mother because you're a mother effer. Everybody says that about you. You're a mother effer. You hate the fact that... Uh, your father is allowed in this country and is keeping you from your mother. Uh, well, what is what is really happening here? Because, you know, I've spent the past year trying to outline how sick, how, how, how the Republican Party is just a repository of self-loathing men who lash out at others to kill 
in others what they want to kill inside of them. You know, Matt Schlapp, for example. Uh, It's self-loathing men who want to kill in others what they can't kill inside of themselves. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy, this is what I think. I think he hates the fact that he is, in fact, the beneficiary of birthright citizenship. I think he's ashamed of that. He shouldn't be, but he's a, he's a moral defective. And, you know, he went to Harvard undergrad and he went to Yale Law. And we know what those institutions are like. He, he was internalizing all the contempt directed at him for being so different. And he hated his father while he was going to Yale and Harvard. He despised his father. He was ashamed of his father for not being an American citizen. He not only hated his father, but he internalized it and hated himself because he's demented. And he joined the Republican Party. He joined the group of people who hated him as much as he hated himself because he knew he had a secret that he was a beneficiary of the birthright clause of the 14th Amendment. And he hated himself for that. So he gravitated to other Republicans because he knew they would hate him as well. That's what they would have. That's the bond, the secret bond that he didn't tell them he was a birthright citizen, but that was the secret bond that he could share with the Republican Party. We both hate me. So to be accepted, because he want we all want to be accepted, uh, but he wanted to be accepted by the people who hate him. So to be accepted by the people who hate him, he attacks birthright citizenship, thinking that they will accept him even though he himself is the beneficiary of the very same thing he's railing against. Sick men, sick, demented men, and they're the most dangerous. Self-loathing men, the most dangerous. They try to kill in others what they want to kill in themselves. So, you know, I'm thinking of joining the Republican Party. I'm thinking of, you know, being a a Republican. So why do you hate America, Vivek? Why won't your father become a U.S. citizen? Why does your father hate America? Unbelievable how sick these people are. Your mother's a psychiatrist. I'd ask you to get on her couch, but I'm afraid you do it with no clothes on because you're an MFer, Vivek Ramaswamy. The, I, I, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis, I still hate Ron DeSantis more than Vivek. Well, like Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Kevin McCarthy, our speaker, wants power no matter what it takes. The government's fiscal year begins October 1st, and they need a budget, but we don't have one. So Congress is attempting to pass a temporary budget that would fund the government for a month. It's called a continuing resolution or a CR, and the far-right Freedom Caucus won't vote for it, which means Speaker McCarthy can't get a bill out of the House into the Senate 
just to keep our government running for 30 days. Now, yesterday, I suggested that most legal scholars believe the Constitution insists all spending bills must emanate from the House of Representatives. Biden and the Senate cannot get a spending bill going. It has to come out of the House. That's received wisdom. But on Friday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer hinted that he has been working with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in the Senate to introduce a continuing resolution first. And then after it's passed in the Senate, hand it down to the House for passage. And I'm not sure this has ever been done before. I don't know. Maybe they can do it through something called reconciliation. I know that they can play tr parliamentary tricks if it's involves spending. So maybe they can start the bill in the Senate. But that would still require Kevin McCarthy to get a majority in his House to approve the bill that emanates from the Senate. And it's looking like he cannot do this. It's starting to look like the Freedom Caucus wants to shut the government down no matter what. Because I think that's what they stand for. The Freedom Caucus stands for shutting down the government. Not just small government, but just shutting down the government. And you have Vivek Ramaswamy talking about firing 75% of the federal workforce. You have Ron DeSantis and a secret plan out of the Heritage Foundation for Trump in 2025 to get rid of what they call the administrative state, to pair Washington all the way back to the way it looked before Woodrow Wilson, not Herbert Hoover. They want to get the federal government to look and be as big as it was before Woodrow Wilson was president. So that would have been Taft. They want to, they want to make government as small as it was when Taft was president, who I, I won't do a fat joke about Taft. Okay, so they, that's, what they, that's what they really want to do is just shut down the federal government. They do. The Freedom Caucus. And so do the Republicans secretly. They just want to, they, you know. So the Freedom Caucus considers a shutdown a triumph. Even for a week, 10 days, a month, they consider that a victory. And it's no coincidence that the same members of the Freedom Caucus who want to shut down the government also were on the phone with Donald Trump on January 7th trying to get pardons because of their participation in January 6th. So this is uh, what's going on. We have a political crisis because of these Republicans, and they create an economic crisis because of their behavior. America's debt has been downgraded by Fitch as... Uh, you know, there used to be a time when uh, United States bonds were the most secure investment in the world. I think they still are, but they used to get a AAA rating. But thanks to the hijinks of the Freedom Caucus, our bonds get a AA rating from Fitch because they keep threatening to shut the government down. And this looming threat of a government shutdown 
suggests that some of these Republicans would be willing to default on our debt. And we saw this earlier this year with the fight over raising the debt ceiling. Every time the Republicans threaten a shutdown, it sends jitters through the bond market because if the government is shut down, it suggests that the Treasury won't be able to pay the interest it owes investors on the bonds that the investors have purchased, investors from all around the world who purchase our debt. Uh, you know, we have 30, what, $33 trillion in debt. That's that's a bond. That's a an investment that people buy. And we pay interest on that debt. So Kevin McCarthy can't get the continuing resolution out of the House. And he's still trying to pass a Pentagon spending bill. So he's trying to get a continuing resolution passed before October 1st. And he's trying to get a, a Pentagon spending bill passed for 2024. The, the budget is comprised of 12 appropriations bills. They, they cut up the budget into 12 individual bills. And as I pointed out yesterday, one of the appropriations bills, one twelfth of the budget is the, well, actually most of the budget is Pentagon spending, but one bill, one twelfth of the bills addresses the Pentagon. And you always introduce defense spending first because you know both sides within reason are going to come around and vote for it. It's not a question of uh, cutting defense. It's how much are we going to raise defense spending? But this week, the, the defense spending bill died on two procedural votes. So McCarthy was hoping to prove that he could get one appropriations bill passed before the the shutdown to to prove that there there was headway. And no, it, it died twice on procedural issues. Even Marjorie Taylor Greene voted against moving the Pentagon spending bill along. And that is somewhat shocking considering Marjorie Taylor Greene got booted out of the Freedom Caucus, partly because she's a huge supporter of McCarthy's, and also because, uh, I'm not making this up, she called Lauren Boebert, quote, a little bitch uh, on the House floor. And I'm not making this up. It almost led to a fistfight in the congressional restroom. They, they almost went to blows inside the congressional restroom. And I'm sure that wouldn't be the first time our congressional restroom saw people going to blows. Uh Green said she opposed the bill because it contained funding for Ukraine. So to placate Marjorie Taylor Greene on Friday, Kevin McCarthy announced he would strip out of the Pentagon funding bill the $300 million earmarked for Ukraine. He put it before the Rules Committee on Friday, and they failed to get it out of committee. All of this starts up again on Monday with no resolution in sight. The government, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I think the Democrats, at least in the House, hope I'm right, because I think the Democrats want this government to shut down. It's good politically, not good for the country, but it's good politically 
for the Democrats. And you know the Republican-controlled House is dysfunctional when Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson starts sounding reasonable. Politico interviewed Senator Ron Johnson on Friday to talk about his bill. It's called the Prevent Government Shutdowns Act. Johnson has been trying to get this passed for several years. I mean, he's a Republican. He ran a really racist campaign last year. But uh, what Ron Johnson's Prevent Government Shutdowns Act would do is automatically keep the government open starting on October 1st with or without a budget passed. No more brinkmanship. A continuing resolution, if there's no budget by October 1st, remember, the government's fiscal year starts on October 1st. And if there's no budget on October 1st, the government shuts down unless they pass what is called a continuing resolution. And with Ron Johnson's Prevent Government Shutdowns Act, a continuing resolution would automatically kick in on October 1st, and it would leave spending at the same levels as the previous budget. Ron Johnson talking with Politico. It's just so incredibly common sense. If, if there's dysfunction and you don't fund all of government or even an agency, you don't shut it down. You just fund at last year's levels. That's what we do in Wisconsin. He continued. This would take government shutdown completely off the table and all the economic harm that those shutdowns cause. Yeah, like downgrading our debt, which has happened. Continue. What it would do is put a great deal of, of uh, pressure on the appropriators to start their process way sooner. What you want to do is you want to create the pressure point, not Christmas Eve, but October 1st. And you do that by passing Preventing Government Shutdown Act that gives you an automatic CR. And then the appropriators will say, OK, we, we've got to get our work done before October 1st. Automatic CR would be a continuing resolution. October 1st, no budget. You just automatically have a continuing resolution. The, bu the government stays open at the same levels it was a year ago. Like I said, it's a sorry state of affairs when Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson is the voice of reason. This is a pig. I, I don't eat pigs because I'm a vegan. But if I have to choose between humans and pigs, I'll choose humans, except when the human is a pig like Russell Brand. But some good news on the medical front involving pigs. The University of Maryland Medical Center announced on Friday that for the second time, they have transplanted a genetically modified pig heart into a human being uh, who is still alive. This makes the second time they have transplanted a pig heart. The first patient was 57 years old. They did that back in January of 2022. The same surgeons transplanted a genetically modified pig heart uh, into him back then because he didn't qualify for a human heart. Uh, the man lived for two months. It's very interesting. He was going to die. Uh, the FDA approved this emergency experimental surgery. He lived for two months with the pig heart. There was no indication that his body rejected the pig heart. The pig heart 
functioned perfectly right up until he died. He he died from numerous complications, one of which was traces of a pig virus in his heart. And they were worried about some sort of zoonotic leap. And doctors uh, say that the pig heart, the second pig heart, was transplanted on Wednesday. It had been thoroughly tested for viruses, came up clean. This is very hopeful. This is good news. I like good news. 100,000 Americans are barely hanging on right now. They're in end-stage organ disease with a shortage of donors. And besides pig hearts, doctors at NYU here in New York and surgeons down in Alabama have begun transplanting genetically modified pig kidneys into brain-dead patients whose kidneys have completely failed. These are ex experimental surgeries. I mean, they, they, the loved ones agree you know, before we take uh, dad off life support, do you mind if we uh, put a pig inside of him? Well, we had the second pig heart transplant on Wednesday. The patient is awake and he's talking with his wife. The donor pig is said to be resting comfortably on a bed of lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise and toast. It is good news, though. It is. It's a great time to be alive and a great time to get sick. Now all we need is to give everyone Medicare for all. Everybody should have Medicare for all. It will be cheaper, but Republicans are diseased and they lie about this because they want to take money from United Healthcare. Speaking of heartless pigs, on Friday, Rudy Giuliani was told by the judge in the defamation lawsuit filed by two Georgia election workers, that's the lawsuit he lost, uh, he was told on Friday that he is behind on paying their legal fees. The judge said, for every day Rudy fails to pay their legal fees, interest will be tacked on. Right now, just in legal fees, Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani, Rudy, that's, he owes a lot of money, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Rudy Giuliani owes Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, those are the mother-daughter election workers, he owes them just in legal fees alone $230,000. And every day that he doesn't pay them, He's got a, the VIG is tacked on. His trial starts in December to determine how much he has to pay them in damages. He lost the defamation lawsuit because he couldn't afford to cooperate during the discovery phase. And I don't know what's going to happen with him. I don't, he's got 11 civil lawsuits going on. How does he turn over documents? You need lawyers. You got to be able to pay for Xeroxing. He he can't participate in the the, the trial. Uh, I think you get what happens if you don't. I think you go to jail, right? In a civil lawsuit, if you, I think I know he's going to get locked up for the the racketeering case. But uh, this is going to be fun to watch this monster. Just go down hard. I, I uh, enjoy bad people 
being brought to justice. I believe in law and order, and I believe that Rudy Giuliani is a monster. And uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, he, there were a lot of people who had to go into hiding and fear for their lives because of Rudy Giuliani. Demented, demented drunk. Dangerous. That's why Trump hired him. Well, Cassidy Hutchinson, we talked about her uh, yesterday. She's the Trump White House staffer who became an American hero when she went before the January 6th committee. And she has a new book out in which she accuses America's mayor, which I'm now going to call him America's monster, Rudy Giuliani. She says Rudy Giuliani ran his hand up her skirt inside the white tent on January 6th before Donald Trump walked out on the ellipse and told his mob of armed imbeciles to storm the Capitol. On Friday, new excerpts from Cassidy Hutchinson's new book tell us that she had to go into hiding after she defied Trump and went before the January 6th committee to testify about what she witnessed on January 6th and in the lead-up, what she witnessed in the lead-up to January 6th. It was very damning testimony. She worked directly for Mark Meadows, who was Donald Trump's White House chief of staff. Cassidy Hutchinson saw everything. So uh, in her new book, Hutchinson said after her testimony before the January 6th committee, she had her bags already packed and didn't return to her apartment and moved down to Atlanta for several months because she was told it was no longer safe for her in Washington, D.C. It is not safe to stand up to Donald Trump. OK, also in her book, she says that the reason he didn't wear a mask is it smudged his bronzer. That was another that he would take the mask off and it was covered in his bronzer. Meanwhile, the Fulton County racketeering trial in which Cassidy Hutchinson's boss, Mark Meadows, Mark Meadows, Trump's White House chief of staff, along with 18 other co-defendants, including Donald Trump, are all charged with election interference. That trial continues to chug along. 900 residents of Fulton County next week will be receiving summons for jury duty to rule on this case. The voir dire is about to start. I think it's called voir dire, where they look at 900 potential jurors and pick uh, 12. I don't know how many alternates they have. Uh, so people in Fulton County, 900 of you will be getting a summons for jury duty. Two defendants, Kenneth Cheesebro and Sidney Powell, are expected to go on trial in late October. So it looks like they've severed from the 19 co-defendants, Kenneth Cheeseboro and Sidney Powell, who asked for a speedy trial, and they're being granted one in late October. Kenneth Cheeseboro on Thursday, his lawyers asked the judge in that racketeering trial to exclude from the trial all the emails that Kenneth Cheeseboro wrote to John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani, in which Kenneth Cheesebro, and we've all seen the memos, he outlines the false elector scheme in those memos. 
And lawyers for Kenneth Cheesebro told the judge that those emails were obtained through a faulty search warrant. So, you know, they're trying to get it excluded from the trial. Uh, it's not a good sign when your lawyers are trying to exclude from the trial the written proof, your written proof, that you organized an illegal false elector scheme. Like, that's their move. Their only defense is uh, they have incontrovertible evidence that you organized the false elector scheme. So we're going to try to get the incontrovertible proof thrown out so the jury can't see it. Um, in other words, Kenneth Cheesebro's defense is indefensible. One would think, right? But I'm old enough to remember watching the Rodney King beating, and uh, they put all those cops on trial up in Simi Valley, and my friend Larry Brown called me. I believe it was 1992, and my friend, very funny comedian Larry Brown called me. He said the cops in the uh, Rodney King uh, trial got off, and I laughed. I thought he was joking. I mean, if you've ever seen the Rodney King video... It's just incontrovertible. And I thought Larry was joking and I started laughing. But, you know. <sighs> the Washington Post reports on Friday that while Trump is leading in Iowa, he's hardly there. As I keep pointing out on the show, Iowa is very unpredictable. This is not a primary. This is the Iowa caucus. It's retail politics at its most basic. You got to shake people's hands. It's uh, knocking on doors. It's not big rallies. They don't cut it. The Iowans who caucus take this seriously because what else do they have to do in Iowa? And they want to put the candidates under the microscope to see who they are personally. Like I said, that means knocking on doors, remembering names. And as I reported earlier, Trump has no ground game. Donald Trump Jr. has been on the phone asking, where is everybody? Why don't we have an organization in Iowa? I mean, it's a sad state of affairs when Don Jr., is saying, literally, why do I have to be the adult in the room? That's what Don Jr. said. He said, why am I the adult in the room? Yeah, well, you're not an adult. You shouldn't be. At least he knows the self-awareness that he should not be the adult in the room. So Trump in Iowa is running on name recognition, and he thinks these big rallies are going to woo the caucus voters. But those rallies are spectacle with zero policy substance. So, look, he's still leading. It's an astronomical difference between him and DeSantis. But of all the candidates, he has spent the least amount of time in Iowa. He's not debating. Iowa, you know, it's still four months away. And, you know, a lot can happen between now and then, like the beginning of four criminal trials 
and a civil lawsuit that starts next month here in New York State. So, and the civil lawsuit is going to be very embarrassing for Donald Trump because it's going to reveal that among his many lies, he is not rich. He is, in fact, broke. Earlier, I mentioned Cassidy Hutchinson. I mentioned that she had to move out of Washington after she testified against Donald Trump before the January 6th committee. It's dangerous, right? Rusty Bowers, the Speaker of the House in Arizona, Raffensperger, Secretary of State in Georgia. You go up against Donald Trump, uh, you fear for your life. You have to go into hiding. Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, the mother-daughter election workers in Fulton County, they had to go into hiding. They all report their houses being either broken into, death threats. This is, this is mob shit, you know? This is who Donald Trump is. So if you recall, six Colorado citizens are suing the Democratic Secretary of State in Colorado to remove Donald Trump's name from the ballot next year in accordance with Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which forbids any elected official from ever holding office again if they, while they were in office, participated in an insurrection. Colorado's Democratic Secretary of State has signaled she is more than willing to take Trump's name off the ballot, but it has to be decided in the courts. The first hearing was scheduled this week. It's been scheduled for October 30th, and the first hearing will be before Denver District Court Judge Sarah B. Wallace, who has told both sides that this case has to move swiftly because no matter how she rules, it's going straight to the Colorado Supreme Court. It's going to be appealed. And then, most likely, it'll go before the United States Supreme Court. And it all has to be decided before January 5th, when the Republican primary ballot in Colorado is finalized. Right? They're trying to keep Donald Trump's name off the Republican primary ballot. Uh, Judge Wallace on Friday issued a protective order banning both sides, but obviously Trump, from making any statements that are threatening in nature. This is what Judge Wallace told lawyers. I 100% understand everybody's concerns for the parties, the lawyers, and frankly, myself and my staff, based on what we've seen in other cases. Yeah, District Attorney Fawny Willis down in Fulton County is getting racist death threats for taking on Trump. She has round-the-clock protection. People in her office are told uh, to work from home and not tell anybody where, where they live. We know that grand jury members then Fulton County were doxxed and got death threats. This is mob shit. It's amazing that we we continue to put up with this stuff. And we're at a 
at a tipping point here because with four criminal trials and uh, some gag orders, uh, one of these judges is going to have to lock Donald Trump up before they go to trial. And uh, people say, well, what happens if they do that? And I say, what happens if they don't? What happens if they don't? Uh, I think Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C., that's where the uh, trial for election interference is going on. She's already told Trump uh, to watch what he says. And he says it's a First Amendment thing. I think people bend very quickly when you lock them up. I, I, I think locking Donald Trump, if he won't shut up, if these threats to the judges, the, the jurors, the witnesses, if these continue, I think locking him up is the safest thing to do. That's my opinion. Again, I'm sitting in a bubble, but uh, lock him up and whoever comes out of the woodwork and doesn't like it, lock them up because... There's right and there's wrong in this country, and we, we're not a nation of laws. Who are we kidding? But if we're going to pretend to be a nation of laws, he has to be locked up for violating these protective orders. There, there, there are going to be gag orders. You cannot intimidate witnesses, judges, attorneys, and jurors. We're seeing this. Lock him up. You'd be amazed. You know, I don't approve. Uh, you know, I got punched in the face as a kid. I, I, and you get punched in the face, you get in line. Uh, I don't approve of that's a, I'm from a different generation. Uh, and I told my kids to walk away from fights. I, and I mean that. But when I got punched in the face, somebody somebody once gave me a black eye and it's like the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I don't recommend it, and it's, but I'm from a different generation. I think locking Trump up, you know, I look at what Merrick Garland is doing, locking up all these January Sixers. And uh, these are tough guys who all of a sudden start crying and begging for forgiveness I think we'd be amazed how quickly people would get in line saying Donald Trump locked up. I mean, when you have judges afraid of the consequences, again, and I'll move on. People say to me, well, what happens if we lock him up? And I say, what happens if you don't? Let his people, it's easy for me to say, but let his bikers come out of the woodwork. I don't see them. I don't see them. I, I don't mean to be glib here because I'm not in law enforcement and I'm not Merrick Garland. And I'm being very glib here. But if he disobeys a gag order, lock him up. Lock him up. Best thing to happen to our country is locking Donald Trump up. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is <laughs> going to get locked up. He and his wife were indicted Friday on three counts of accepting bribes 
to assist three businessmen as well as the Egyptian government. This is the second time New Jersey Senator Democrat Menendez has been indicted. His last trial ended with a hung jury after he was accused of taking extravagant vacations paid for by a Florida doctor. Prosecutors on Friday announced the indictments and accused Menendez and his wife of hiding hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes, bribes from three business associates whose names were Wael Hanna, Jose Uribe, who I think played for the San Francisco Giants. Wasn't there a Jose Uribe who played for the Giants or the Oakland? I thought it was the Giants. Jose Uribe and Fred Dabes. Here is the judge, not the judge, the prosecutor announcing the indictments. Now, as part of this investigation, special agents with the FBI executed search warrants on the residence and safe deposit box of Senator Menendez and Nadine Menendez in New Jersey. When they got there, they discovered approximately $500,000 of cash stuffed into envelopes and closets. Some of the cash was stuffed in the senator's jacket pockets. Some of the cash, some of the envelopes of cash contained Davies' fingerprints, Davies' DNA. That's not all. Agents also discovered a lot of gold, gold that was provided by Davies and Hanna. And the FBI, of course, found the Mercedes Benz that Uribe had provided them. This is the Mercedes Benz that we allege that Uribe provided as part of the scheme. What you see here are three kilograms of gold. These three kilograms together are worth approximately $150,000. Hmm. On Friday, Menendez called these indictments a massive smear campaign. He said, for years, forces behind the scenes. And by the way, this is New Jersey. And I don't know how familiar I, I was. I'm from New Jersey. A lot of uh, crooked noses in New Jersey. He said, for years, forces behind the scenes have repeatedly attempted to silence my voice and dig my political grave. He said, since this investigation was leaked a year ago, there's been an active smear campaign of anonymous sources and innuendos to create an air of impropriety where none exists. Now, I believe he's running for re-election in 2024. I'm pretty sure he's running for re-election. His son, Rob Menendez, he's a Democrat and he is a first-term congressman. Rob Menendez said he has unwavering confidence in daddy, adding, I strongly believe in daddy's, he didn't say daddy, but uh, I strongly believe in his integrity and his values. And I look forward to seeing him move past this distraction to continue fighting for our state in the United States Senate. But by the end of Friday, Senator Menendez did step down as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Now, the big question is, does he step down as senator? Democratic Governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, said on Friday after the indictments came down, he said, yes, Menendez needs to go. Governor Murphy, remember, he's a Democrat and he he will appoint, if, if Menendez steps down, he gets to appoint his successor, Phil Murphy said after the indictments, 
Under our legal system, Senator Menendez and the other defendants have not been found guilty and will have the ability to present evidence disputing these charges and we must respect the process. However, the alleged facts are so serious that they compromise the ability of Senator Menendez to effectively represent the people of our state. Therefore, I am calling for his immediate resignation. And like I said, if Menendez resigns, Governor Murphy, a Democrat, would appoint his successor. Wow. Interesting. This is Ramzi bin al-Shib. He is 51 and got arrested in Pakistan back in September of 2002 and was charged with working for Osama bin Laden in planning the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center and our Pentagon. After being transferred from one CIA dark site to another, eventually he landed in Guantanamo Bay in 2006. Now, note that he was arrested in Pakistan. The man was one of five defendants charged with masterminding 9-11. He was arrested in Pakistan, wasn't arrested in Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, But those are the two countries we blame for 9-11. And then we bombed and killed hundreds of thousands of their civilians. Note that he was arrested in Pakistan and that Osama bin Laden was killed in Pakistan and got all his money from Saudi Arabia, but America killed hundreds of thousands of people in Iraq and Afghanistan like we blamed Iraq and Afghanistan for 9-11. Anyway, just interesting fun fact. Isn't that interesting? A little trivia. Anyway, Ramzi bin al-Sheib is from Yemen, not Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, Yemen abuts Saudi Arabia. And uh, he was supposed to attend the pretrial hearings On Friday, along with four other co-defendants who have been accused of masterminding the uh, 9-11 attacks, but on Thursday, the judge in the trial ruled that he was mentally unfit to stand trial, not that there ever is going to be a trial. Uh, We had another pre-trial hearing that was scheduled on Friday. Uh, They've been holding pre-trial hearings, and I'm not making this up as far back as the Bush administration. So why is he unfit to stand trial? Because the CIA tortured him. And because they tortured him, he has been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, associated psychotic features, and a delusional disorder. Why doesn't he become a Republican? So there'll be no trial for him. And so what do you do with him? What do you do? No trial. No pre-trial. He's been there since 2006. He's been in Guantanamo since 2006. No trial for him. What do you do with him? What do you do? Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is believed to have been the real mastermind behind 9-11, he's been waiting in Gitmo for his trial for nearly two decades. He, of course, was arrested on a flight 
going from Baghdad to Kabul. I'm joking. He was arrested in Pakistan. The mastermind, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is, they think he was the one who worked directly with bin Laden on 9-11, arrested in Pakistan. But again, we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan to make those countries pay for 9-11 when it was actually Saudi Arabia that paid for 9-11, but we didn't invade Saudi Arabia or Pakistan. Interesting, isn't it? A little fun fact. I read this on a Dixie cup. Uh, My dishwasher isn't working, so we're getting uh, Dixie cups. And there's fun facts on on the Dixie cups. And I I, I didn't know this. I always thought, you know, we're going to spend a couple trillion dollars killing brown people in Iraq and Afghanistan. I, I was convinced we were doing it because they were behind... 9-11. 9-11. Turns out it was Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. Kind of funny, isn't it? Funny that we have 2.5 million men and women behind bars this morning in America. No room for Dick Cheney, Scooter Libby. No room for uh, George W. Bush. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Anyway, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, he's been waiting for his trial for nearly two decades, but his confessions can't hold up in a court of law because he was waterboarded at least 183 times, and there's no proof that the CIA was ever able to get what is called a clean confession out of him. They, they call the confessions that they got out of him clean if it didn't invo- involve waterboarding. You know, if he was just standing on one foot naked, having not been allowed to sleep for three weeks, that would be a clean confession. We'll talk about this on uh, another show. Pre-trial hearings. Since 2006, they have no idea... They're called commissions, not trials, because they realize, well, we can't, we tortured them, so we can't put them on trial in a court of law. So we'll call them military commissions because nobody understands what that means. Let's hide behind words and language so nobody realizes that we can't put these guys on trial because we tortured them. They're military commissions. And every couple of weeks we hear about a pretrial hearing, pretrial Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson announced on Friday that he now identifies as a Republican. He's uh, transitioning to a Republican. He was a Democrat, but he realized, uh, you know, it's fluid and he's now a Republican. He said when his term as mayor of Dallas ends in 2027, he will leave as a Republican. Went in as a Democrat, came out as a Republican. They elected a Democrat to run Dallas. He's leaving uh, as a Republican. Johnson said, this is the mayor of Dallas. Johnson said with time, he discovered that the Republicans offered more of what he wanted. Yeah, money and less competition in the brain department. It's great. Like I'm thinking of becoming a Republican. I mean, you just 
take the money, right? I'm not that bright. I should be a Republican. I'm stupid and I need money. Hmm. I'm going to call Eric Johnson, the mayor of Dallas, and find out how that works. Uh, Eric Johnson now says he supports the police and big business. That's what he said. I realize after being mayor of a big city that I truly support the police and big business. So he realized he's a fascist. If you define yourself as a strong believer in big business and the police, that makes you a crypto fascist. That's exactly what a crypto fascist is. Congratulations, Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, who, and he's African-American, by the way. On Friday, in an Oval Office ceremony, President, uh, no, it was, I think it was in, it was the Rose Garden, it was in the Rose Garden, in a Rose Garden ceremony, President Biden announced the formation of a gun violence prevention office. I kind of made fun of that, but uh, then I heard the speech and I went, eh, that's pretty good. It will be modeled after FEMA. The idea is someone after a mass shooting, and we have them every day, someone from the president's gun violence prevention office will show up and provide comfort to the victims and give press conferences. This will be an official statement from Joe Biden after every mass shooting, and there's one every day. So this will be a very busy office. It will take the lead in making certain that Biden's executive orders to stem gun violence are implemented properly. After last year's shooting in Uvalde, Biden was able to get a bipartisan bill passed called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And it wasn't much, but it was something. It mandated background checks for anyone under the age of 21 who wanted to buy a gun. It offers more funding for red flag laws in individual states that have them. Tries to make mental health services more readily available. I don't know how that works. Uh, Seems harder and harder for some people to find a psychologist. It tightened the loopholes to make sure convicted domestic abusers can't purchase a weapon for five years. I think that's actually being challenged in the courts. That's a, a noble profession to be a lawyer working 14 hours a day to get guns into the hands of domestic abusers. Hmm. Well, the president's Rose Garden ceremony included Vice President Harris, as well as freshman Congressman Maxwell Frost, who is 26. Frost represents Florida in and around Orlando and is a gun violence survivor. So if you think there is no difference between the two parties, here is President Biden. I never thought I'd even remotely say this in my whole career. Guns are the number one killer of children in America. Guns are the number one killer of children in America, the United States of America. More than car accidents, more than cancer, more than other diseases. In 2023, so far, our country has experienced more than 500 mass shootings and well over 30,000 deaths due to gun violence. 
This is totally unacceptable. It's not who we are. And we have to act. We have to act now. And let me be very clear. If members of the Congress refuse to act, then we'll need to elect new members of Congress that will act. <laughs> Democrat or Republican. See, I like the fact that he's 80, and I like the fact that he has his good days and his bad days, because I root for him. Like, when he, when he has a bad day, I feel bad for him, and when he has a good day, I feel, yeah. It's, that's what worked for Reagan, by the way. When he ran for re-election in 84, a lot of Republicans got very protective uh, uh, for him. Nobody likes confidence. He's a... Joe Biden is a human being, and there, and there's something, there's nothing wrong with uh, Democrats wanting to protect Grandpa. Uh, again, I wanted Bernie, but I'm voting for Biden because I have no choice, and I think he could do a better job. But I think everybody could do a better job, and uh, I'm. I don't mean to be glib. I know there are, I know half this country is suffering. I know that. I know that. And I'm buying his bullshit because I have no choice. I know that. But uh, again, had Hillary Clinton won in 2016, she would have been reelected and she would have picked four Supreme Court justices. This country would be completely different. OK. Uh, OK. Biden is gearing up. Uh, I'm not capitulating. I'm a little spooked by the Republican Party. I want Bernie, and I'm disappointed with the Democrats, uh, and I struggle with this. So, uh, you know, I do love this country, and I like to get behind a president and root for him, uh, and I'm a sucker for for Biden. The closer we get to the election. We should be fighting like the Republicans do, though. We should be doing it. Uh, and it's cowardice and it's a lack of faith in ourselves, our party and this country not to fight the way the Republicans do. Uh, you know, the, the Freedom Caucus, it would be. People respect that. Even, you know, the crackpots who shut down the government, I don't think they get punished for that. I, they say they do, but I don't think they get punished in their home districts for this behavior. Uh, different show. Let's, let's move on. I'm rooting for Biden. I'm sorry. Bernie's rooting for Biden, and I'm rooting for Bernie. Biden is gearing up for the big campaign. Here he is. This is great. This is a great moment. Here he is on Thursday talking about real Christian values. I'm sick and tired of the Republican Party 
taking the moral high ground, like th- like they're better Christians than we are. Here is Joe Biden talking about real Christian values, not phony Republican Christian values, but real Christian values. Lessons based on the Gospel of Matthew. Feed the hungry, care for the sick, welcome strangers. They echo what my dad taught me, and I mean this sincerely. My dad used to say, everyone, everyone is entitled to be treated with dignity and respect. Congressional Black Caucus embodies all those values. Yes, great. The Congressional Black Caucus does embody all those values. Unfortunately, Joe was talking to the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, but that's okay. That's okay. Joe just wanted the Congressional Hispanic Caucus to know that the Congressional Black Caucus also has good values. He got a little confused. He thought he was talking to the Congressional Black Caucus, perhaps, and it was the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, and Joe doesn't see color. He thinks we're all the same, white, Hispanic, black. Moving on. Uh, I like that. That um, See, that's good that the president screws up that way. Makes me very protective of him. The Republicans are debating next week. Donald Trump won't be there. It's at the Ronald Reagan Library. Instead, Trump is planning some counter-programming where he will deliver a speech in Detroit, a strike to a, a speech to striking auto workers. Even though Sean Fain, the head of the United Auto Workers, has warned that another four years of Trump would be catastrophic for workers. Now, Sean Fain is the head of the UAW, and he is the only major union head to withhold his endorsement for Joe Biden. Uh, He's kind of said, I think, I got a contract that's up uh, in uh, September. Uh, You don't get my endorsement. I want to see. You got to earn the endorsement. So he's making, and this is, this is, you know, my friends on the left say, don't give your vote up. Just don't hand your vote to Biden. Make him work for it. This is an example of making Biden work for your vote. Uh, Sean Fain has not, only labor leader who has not endorsed Biden. He's saying earn it. Now, Bernie Sanders and Hakeem Jeffries, the House minority leader, uh, they have gone to Detroit and marched with the workers. And Sean Fain said on Friday, early Friday morning, that Joe Biden needs to come to Detroit and march with the workers. Now, he hasn't endorsed Joe Biden, right? This is how power works or is supposed to work. Well, Biden got the message and he got scared. And Joe Biden, who calls himself the most pro-union president in American history, announced on Friday he will fly to Detroit on Tuesday and march with the United Auto Workers. You know, it's optics, but it's a great lesson in not surrendering your vote early. 
earn my vote. Come pick it with the striking workers. It's why you never saw Clinton or Obama marching with striking union members because labor, they always had labor in their pocket. This is an example of making Democrats work for, uh, making uh, Democrats work for your vote. Not doing what I'm doing right now, uh, saying uh, he's got my vote. I'm scared of Trump. Look, I have a lot of problems with Joe Biden. Uh, He does support the PRO Act. He did screw the railway workers. He did. Uh, They didn't get paid sick leave. And I've talked about this. Uh, So he does need to get to Detroit and march with the auto workers, politically speaking. Uh, The noise in the background, uh, there's, I I can't even, I was going to make a really bad taste joke. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, they got, that is uh, some construction that's going on. There's a, there's a hospital that I live next door to and they're doing construction from, anyway. What was I talking about? Has it stopped? There was a time in, in this country when I would have made a really sick joke about the noise you were hearing, but it's no longer fun. Well, somebody won't be getting any uh, sleep. Uh, screwing the railway workers. Uh, they didn't get paid sick leave. You know, I've talked about this. So uh, with the United Auto Workers, he, he sent his, Sue, his labor secretary, t- to speed up the negotiations in Detroit. I don't know how much he can do to help the auto workers with, when they negotiate with the UAW. But last year, the railway negotiations belonged to Joe Biden. He was legally the the final word on that. And I don't know how he allowed the railroad companies making record profits to get away with no paid sick leave. I mean, that is beyond me. Um, maybe the railway workers gave away their endorsement too soon. I don't know. Early this week, I played a clip of Republican candidate Senator Tim Scott being asked what he would do about the UAW strike. You saw that clip. uh, Scott invoked the memory of Ronald Reagan, who fired the air traffic controllers. And Scott said he would fire the striking workers. He said, you strike, you're fired. It was pretty, pretty bad. Not too, you know. Uh, Well, the United Auto Workers president, Sean Fain, has taken Tim Scott before the National Labor Relations Board and filed a complaint, a complaint against Senator Tim Scott, accusing him of, quote, engaging in unfair labor practices. This is what the complaint reads. And this is what I remember unions used to be like. Like there were certain places where you would walk, certain offices that you would walk into. And if you touched a chair, the union would just leave. Like, you're not allowed to touch this equipment. You touch it, there's a work stoppage. Uh, This is what the complaint uh, said. 
quote, within the past six months, the employer has interfered with, restrained, or coerced employees in the exercise of the rights guaranteed in Section 7 of the Act. On Monday, September 18th, 2023, Tim Scott threatened employees with adverse consequences if they engage in protected, concerted activity by publicly responding to a question about striking workers as follows. You strike, you're fired. I like that. Nothing's going to come of it, but... You know, play hardball. They're playing hardball. Meanwhile, the United Auto Workers strike has spread to 38 facilities here in America in 20 states. The UAW is not striking Ford plants because the union feels Ford is making a serious attempt to iron out a new contract. Sean Fain said, quote, we've made some real progress at Ford. We still have serious issues to work through, but we do want to recognize that Ford is showing that they are serious about reaching a deal at GM and Stellantis. It's a different story. Stellantis is Chrysler, which we bailed out, by the way. The two companies we bailed out, GM and Chrysler, are the ones who are more difficult to deal with. You do a favor for somebody, right? No good turn. What's the expression? I don't know. I'm being distracted by that noise. The mice are sleeping. I don't want the mice to to get awakened. Um, They haven't been feeling well. I'm running out of steam. I'm annoyed by that noise. CNBC reports more than 362,000 American workers have gone on strike this year so far. Compared to two years ago, by September of 2021, only 36,000 workers had gone on strike in the same time period. So we're looking at, if you compare January to September 23rd uh, in 2023, 362,000 Americans have gone on strike. Back in 2021, from January 1st to September 23rd of 2021, 36. 1,600 workers had gone on strike. This is shaping up to be the most aggressive year in decades when it comes to union activism. But union membership is now the lowest in 100 years. To Biden's credit, the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, which were passed last year, they demand union contracts for a majority of the jobs Uh, contracted by the federal government. So there's that. I guess we'll end. Do we want to end with this? No, for the, this is, do I want to talk about Lizzo? I don't know. Sure, why not? For the second time this year, Lizzo is being sued by a former employee who accuses her of creating an unsafe sexually, I don't want to talk about that. Not interested. I am interested. That's not right. All right. Let me. uh, Am I interested in this? For the second time this year, Lizzo is being sued by a former employee who accuses her of creating an unsafe, sexually charged workplace culture. The second lawsuit was filed in Los Angeles. However, Lizzo herself is not being accused of any harassment. Fashion designer in this lawsuit. Asha Daniels accuses Lizzo's wardrobe manager 
of making, quote, racist and fat phobic comments. Daniel also says she was forced to work 20 hours without a break. If you remember, in August, three dancers sued Lizzo, accusing her of fat shaming as well as sexual harassment. I was going to talk about this, uh, but I better not. Yeah, this isn't my ballywick, as they say, but I have... I'm not going to go there. 75,000 Kaiser Permanente healthcare workers, mostly nurses, have threatened to go out on strike the first week of October unless they get a new contract. Kaiser Permanente serves 13 million patients in America, primarily in California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., and it is the largest nonprofit healthcare organization in America. Nonprofit healthcare. Hmm. Dave Regan is the president of SEIU United Healthcare Workers West, and he said his members are overworked because these hospitals are understaffed, creating dangerously long wait times for patients. Okay. Eh, that noise. Don't don't move to New York. Don't move to New York City. Construction. Start. Uh, and finally, on Wednesday, I reported that the studios and the Writers Guild were just hours away from announcing a new deal. So far, the strike continues. So we were misled. There, the, the Writers Guild strike continues. I'm David Feldman. Uh, it's, it, it's never over. Even if there were a deal with the Writers Guild, it would only be for three years. You, you, you never dodge a bullet when it comes to labor negotiations. You, you get a, a new contract and you start fighting and thinking about the next one and ask for things that you know they're not going to give you. Ask for four-day work weeks. Make demands. Go in asking for the moon. That's how you move forward with a sense of entitlement, the same sense of entitlement that they have. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. 